Welcome to Hymology on the Gospel Radio Network, a program sponsored by the Mars Hill Church of Christ, located at 1135 Rucker Road, Christiana, Tennessee, 37037. You may contact us by phone at 615-203-3637. If you would like more information about our congregation or this program, you may visit our website at www.marshillcoc.org. We invite you to join us every Tuesday morning at 11 a.m. right here on TGRN.org. And now, here is your host, Brother Kyle Webb. Welcome to Hymology. I'm glad that you are listening. Today we continue our study of the various songs and hymns that we often sing in our worship services. Over the last few weeks, we have been studying what I refer to as the Churches of Christ's Greatest Hits. And today, I think, is the biggest of them all. A song that even those who have very little religious background will probably have at least heard in their lifetime. As a matter of fact, I know of certain men that that don't lead singing on a regular basis that can lead this song. It is titled, Amazing Grace. It is written by John Newton and arranged by Edwin O. Excel. We begin by looking at the hymn history. And as we look at John Newton himself, we find that he certainly was not the most upstanding citizen that one might know. John Newton was born in London, England, July 24th, 1725, and he died also in London, December 21st of 1807. He had a believing mother, but an unbelieving father, and when his mother died when he was seven years old, he went to sea with his father, where he was exposed to much worldliness personal floggings, slave trading, and many other things that we could only imagine. And in this time, he drifted further from the faith of his mother. He was, however, reintroduced to this faith in God, first through the reading of Thomas Akimsis's book, Imitation of Christ, and secondly, through the memory of his childhood sweetheart, who later became his wife. Mary Catlett. From 1748 to 1754, he was captain of a slave ship. In 1754, he left the sea for a job as a tide surveyor in Liverpool, where he was influenced by George Whitfield and the Wesleys. At 40 years old, he became a minister in the Church of England. He collaborated with William Cowper to produce Olney Hymns in 1779. And he spent the remaining years of his life with St. Mary's Woolnoth Church of London, 1779 to 1807, where he wrote his own epitaph for his tombstone. John Newton, clerk, once an infidel and libertine, a servant of slaves in Africa, was by the rich mercy 
of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had labored long to destroy. Near 16 years at Oldie and Bucks, and 27 years in this church. Newton composed more than 280 hymns, and other than Amazing Grace, his other contributions, most notably to us, include Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken, and How Sweet the Name of Jesus Sounds. The music for Amazing Grace at least the the version that we know best, was arranged by Edwin O. Excel. Edwin Othnello Excel was born in Stark County, Ohio, December 13, 1851, and he died in Louisville, Kentucky, June 10, 1921. He was the son of a minister in the German Reformed Church, He himself was a plasterer and bricklayer before turning to music. He became a popular singing teacher and studied under George Frederick Root from 1877 to 1883 before moving to Chicago in 1883. In Chicago, he began working on the publishing of gospel songbooks. He was co-founder with John H. Vincent, of the International Sunday School Lessons. He composed more than 2,000 songs and is credited with compiling more than 80 hymnals. He was the original printer-publisher of the 1921 Great Songs of the Church, which appeared about three weeks before his death. As we look at the song itself, Amazing Grace. It originally appeared in Olney Hymns, 1779, published by William Cowper and John Newton, and was originally titled Faith's Review and Expectation. Its beginnings seemed to be as a plantation folk song known as Loving Lambs. And with its most known tune, It originally appeared in James P. Carroll and David L. Clayton's Virginia Harmony, published in Lebanon, Virginia, 1831. Excel's arrangement first appeared in his collection, Make His Praise Glorious, published in Chicago, 1900. As we look at the the sources, I always like to cite my sources. Hymns of Faith and Inspiration is a book that I used for this. It is written by Pamela J. Kennedy, published in 1990 by Ideal Publications in Nashville, Tennessee. I also often use Hymns and History by Forrest M. McCann, published in 1997 by ACU Press in Abilene, Texas. And there are also a couple of good websites that I use that you might be interested in looking at yourself. One is hymnstudiesblog.wordpress.com and also hymnary.com.
org, And both of those are great sources of information regarding the hymns and songs that we sing. But as we turn our attention to the context and meaning of this song, it is based on 1 Chronicles 17, verses 16 and 17. In 1 Chronicles 17, beginning with verse 16, this is from the New King James Version, we read, Then King David went in and sat before the Lord. And he said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me this far? And yet this was a small thing in your sight, O God, And you have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come and have regarded me according to the rank of a man of high degree, O Lord God. The theme of this passage is humility. Recognizing uh, for us as Christians, the sacrifice that is given for us would be the idea behind the song and ultimately recognizing the grace by which we are saved. Humility. The humility of wondering, who am I that that you have regarded me in such a special way? David certainly had those feelings, and we can express those feelings as well in regard to the grace that has been supplied to us through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's turn our attention to the lyrics. Let's begin with stanza one. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Again, as we look at the the theme of this song, it is of grace. Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 10. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Grace. Grace. We have been saved by grace through faith. It is a gift of God, according to verse 8. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. However, we do have to understand that there are different types of works that are mentioned throughout the New Testament. So when we talk about grace. When we understand grace, we understand that it is not by works that we are saved. There's nothing that I can do to save myself. 
works of merit. I cannot be saved by works of merit. However, there are involved in faith works of obedience. Whenever we repent, whenever we confess our faith in Christ, those are works of obedience. And so is being baptized for the remission of our sins. Although that is something that is done to us and for us rather than something that we do for ourselves personally. But the, again, there, there are different works that are involved. Works of merit will not save us. There's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. However, in faith, we are to be obedient to God. And so I do want you to understand the difference between the two. If we don't understand the difference between them, then it's hard for us to differentiate between what works are being spoken of in various passages throughout the New Testament. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Even when I didn't deserve it, God granted me grace. Salvation through grace, through Christ. I once was lost, but now am found. I was blind, but now I see. We can't imagine what it's like to, to be blind, but in, in sin, we are in spiritual darkness. We are blind to Christ and his sacrifice and to the joys that are known in, in salvation through him. This is where I once was, but by the grace of God, it's not where I am today. Stanza two. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. God's grace has indeed appeared to all men. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Grace has appeared to us, again, through the salvation that is known to us through Christ and his sacrifice for our sins. Was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. Stanza three Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Twas grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. God 
is our ever-present help. Through dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come by the help of God. It was grace that brought me safe thus far. 1 Samuel 7 and verse 12. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer, saying, Thus far, the Lord has helped us. God has helped us through, again, grace. And it is grace that will lead me home. God's grace guides us through the storms of life. Through these dangers, toils, and snares, we are called to holiness. It is God's grace that will lead us through. 1 Peter 1, verses 13 through 16 Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts as in your ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. Holy. Stanza four. And this one is not in all of the psalm books that we we use. The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. When we think of the promises of God, we often think in terms of physical blessings. But the writer here is referring more to the spiritual blessings that are provided through Christ. The Lord has promised good to me. His word my hope secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. Look with me at James chapter 1 verses 16 through 18. And certainly as we look in terms of physical and spiritual blessings, we understand both to be gifts from God. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, is from God. But more in terms of spiritual blessings, let's look at Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified, And whom he justified, these he also glorified. All things work together 
for good to those who love God. It doesn't mean that everything is going to go just our way on earth. But ultimately, we know that through the spiritual promises of God, that everything will work together for our good in eternity. Stanza 5. And when this flesh and heart shall fail, and mortal life shall cease, I shall possess within the veil a life of joy and peace. Within the veil. In Hebrews chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Beyond this mortal life, I shall possess within the veil, where Christ has entered in his presence, a life of joy and peace. First John chapter 2, verses 24 and 25 in regard to joy and peace. Therefore, let that abide in you which, you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us eternal life. Stanza 6. This is not the stanza 6 that you are probably familiar with. As a matter of fact, I don't know of any songbooks that we use currently that use the original 6th stanza. But as we look at stanza 6, this is the original words of John Newton. The earth shall soon dissolve like snow. The sun forbear to shine. But God who called me here below will be forever mine. It is true that one day this earth will be dissolved. And I couldn't find a specific reference to it being dissolved like snow but I did find a reference that refers to it being dissolved by fire. Second Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 13. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Realizing that this earth will not be forever, we need to be holy. 
be holy as I am holy. We looked at a moment ago. What manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? We need to be ready for judgment. It will come. This earth will come to an end and we will face God. And when we face him, we need to be uh, of the life. We need to have lived a life that has brought glory and honor to God. But God who called me here below will be forever mine. Even when this earth ceases to exist, we are forever His. And what a great blessing that is for all of us. And now we come to stanza seven. The stanza six that you are probably more familiar with. This stanza is not written by John Newton. It is instead taken from an anonymous American hymn, Jerusalem, My Happy Home, which appeared in Richard and Andrew Broaddus's A Collection of Sacred Ballads in 1790. Excel seems to be the first editor to join this stanza to Newton's original lyrics in Coronation Hymns, published in Chicago, 1910. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we've first begun. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8, But, beloved, Do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Ten thousand years are are not meant to be counted, but what is used here is what we would call poetic license that explains this very verse to us, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years. A thousand years is one day. When we have been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. From the parable of the tares in Matthew 13, verses 41 through 43. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Verse 43, Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The righteous will shine forth as the sun. We've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. I remember a Bible class a few years ago in which um, a young lady was asked the question. um, The class was asked the question, uh, 
How can it be if we're in heaven singing holy, holy, holy over and over again? How can it be that we never tire of singing that refrain? And she said that every time we sing it, it is as if we are singing it for the first time. We've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. We're there for eternity, but we never tire of singing God's praises because we love Him and because we are grateful for the blessings that He has given us, namely eternal salvation through Christ. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. was blind, but now I see. Thank you for joining me today. I look forward to being with you again, Lord willing, next Tuesday at 11 a.m. as we study another hymn together. Thank you for being with me today, and until we meet again, may God continue to bless you.